Good morning, Cornerstone. Listen, be careful that you don't become a poor steward of the resources that God has given to you. Be careful, Calvin, that you don't become a poor steward of your resources and find yourself on the wrong side of God. These were the words of my accuser when I told him I was going to trade in my old green Chevy for a brand new Nissan Sentra. With my old Chevy, I didn't have a car note. I had it for a few years, it had a lot of problems. My wife and I decided we needed to have a new car. But my accuser felt like that was a bad idea. He felt like it was a poor use of my resources and he actually had the audacity to warn me that God would not be pleased with the transaction. He quoted some Bible verses completely out of context. He said, the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender, Calvin. Be careful that you don't find yourself on the wrong side of God. He said, the Bible says, Calvin, you should owe no man anything except to love. If you go and get a car note, you owe someone, and God is against that. You'll find yourself on the wrong side of God. He felt it was his duty to warn me that to go into debt was going to get me into spiritual trouble. And to his credit, he practiced what he preached. He didn't have a car note, his car was paid for. He owned his house, even though the house was a bit worn for where he owned his house. He practiced what he preached. He didn't own any credit cards. He sincerely believed that it is God's desire, it is God's command that his people not be in any kind of debt and he lived that way. He further believed that to be in debt was a borderline sin. I don't see how anyone could vote for a Democrat and call yourself a Christian. I cannot imagine how anyone could vote for a Republican and call yourself a Christian. I just don't understand it. This is the cry we hear from both sides of the aisle. Every election cycle, we hear it over and over again, and, and the body fractures into multiple camps because each camp thinks the other side is caught up in the throes of heresy. <laughs> we fall out with one another. We disengage and we disband, not because of some clear doctrinal difference, not because of some clear reading of the Word of God, but very often we reject one another based on our own personal principles that we have established within our own hearts as being of equal value to the word of God. We create our own rules to live by, which is really not a problem, until we seek to apply our personal rules, our personal preferences 
to every other believer. And we tend to judge anyone who does not live up to our religious criteria as being destitute of a true relationship with God. And this is the unhealthy attitude that Paul wants to address with us today. Our tendency to judge one another. And the first lesson Paul wants to teach us is that we should not argue with people who are of weaker faith than ourselves. He says in verse 1 that we should accept the one who is weak in faith. To be weak in faith is to be unable to trust the word of God completely. To be weak in faith means to possess a watered down kind of faith that trusts both in God and in self at the same time. To the point where superstition and conspiracy is given equal attentiveness as the word of God. On the one hand, the person who is weak in faith believes in the one and true God, but on the other hand, she makes herself God. And she measures her righteousness based on her own conscience rather than by the word of God and the testimony of his Holy Spirit. The person who is weak in faith mistakes his feelings of guilt for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this person is never able to rest in God. But Paul's instruction to us in verse 1 is not, 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 not to that person. He's not talking to that person who is weak. He's talking to us, those of us who have a mature faith. He's saying, listen, don't look down on that person. Accept that person. To those of us who know the difference between our opinion and the truth of God's word, he's talking to us. He says that we are to accept those whose faith is less developed than our own. We are to receive them, to welcome them, and even to take them along with us as our companions, Paul says. It sounds simple enough, right? But believe me when I tell you, and you probably already know, that the hearing is easier than the doing. Why is that? Because Paul's command to us here is very inconvenient. We may as well admit it. It's hard to stay in relationship with someone who is always nervous and trepidatious about their faith. Always fearful that they're not on the right side of God. It can be frustrating to be with the person who is hypersensitive. Constantly finding fault within themselves and with everyone around them. That can be difficult to maintain such a relationship. Glass half empty believers. And glass half empty believers tend to drain the life and the vibrancy out of everything they touch. They're always unhappy. Things are never as good as they should be. And when you're around them, you feel like you have to walk on eggshells. Not because you're afraid, but because they are so easily triggered. So that your natural instinct is to steer clear of people like that. 
and your ego desires nothing more than to prove them wrong and to vindicate yourself. But Paul says to us here that while we should accept those who are weak in faith, we should not argue with them. We should not, as Paul says, we should not have quarrels over opinions. And what is an opinion? Before I give you the Webster Dictionary definition of what an opinion is, I want to share these few quotes with you that I find very entertaining, but also very accurate. Plato says this, Plato says, an opinion is the medium between knowledge and ignorance. Wim Wenders says that the more opinions you have, the less you see. Mr. Daniels gave the, the famous quote that everyone is titled, entitled to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. The problem the person who is weak in faith has is that she cannot distinguish between what is true according to God's word and what she merely infers from his word. She can't distinguish the difference. The brother warned me about going into debt based on his own opinion and his own experience. Not based on any systematic interpretation of the word of God, but by what he inferred from the word of God. And he thinks that his assumptions regarding that Bible verse he quoted to me, he thinks that assumption is legitimate interpretation of the text. But it's just his opinion. You guys have been knowing me for a while now. I'll ask you the question, how do you think I responded to his ominous and unbiblical demand? You've been knowing me for a while. How do you think I responded to that? I was about 29 or 30 years old and I wasn't very strong in the faith at the time, so you know what I did? I quarreled with him. We got into verbal conflict because he was accusing me of not being faithful to God. And we argued and we argued and we argued and I showed him Bible verses to prove that he was wrong and he showed me Bible verses to prove that I was wrong and we argued and we argued and we argued but my bitter responses prove that both of us were weak in faith. He was weak in faith because he didn't trust God enough to believe that he could buy a car on credit without falling into sin. But I didn't trust that God would vindicate me if I simply held my peace. I needed to defend myself because I wasn't certain that God would defend me. And in this way, I exposed the fact that I thought too highly of other people's opinions of myself. Both of us were weak in faith. Because to fight with someone about their opinions of you says as much about your spiritual maturity as it says about theirs. Fights only occur within the body of Christ when two or more egos collide. But the mature believer, the mature child of God being devoid of ego is not injured by another man's opinion. 
She is not bound by the dictates of another person's conscience. In other words, the healthy, mature believer has established some spiritual boundaries so that the arrows of false accusation cannot penetrate the bulwark of her faith and her trust in God alone. The mature believer. The normal human response to threat or to harm, the normal human response to false accusation is fight or flight. But Paul says we are not to fight our weaker brother and we are not to take flight from him. We are not to run away from him. We are to take him along with us as our companion. The only person who would allow herself to be subjected to the constant ridicule of a brother or sister without breaking relations is the person who is strong in their faith. Strong people can hang around negative people all day and not be negatively affected. And now Paul gives some scenarios. These scenarios provide context for his instruction in verse one. He says, for example, in verse two, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. And in the Old Testament, we know that God provided Israel with dietary laws of what to eat, what not to eat, a list of things that they could eat and enjoy, and a list of things they were to stay away from. And the person who is weak in faith reads those dietary commands and determines that it's best to not eat any meat at all. God never said that, but this is his personal conviction. But the other person, the other person reads of Peter's experience in Acts chapter 10 verse 13 where God sent down the sheet full of all kinds of animals and told Peter to rise and slay and eat. And Peter said, no Lord, I will not eat any unclean thing. And God says to Peter, do not call what I made unclean. And so upon reading that text, the other person decides, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. There is no problem, there is no rule about what I should and should not eat. God doesn't mind either way. Jesus said it. Jesus said it is not what goes into the body that defiles a man, but what comes out of his heart that defiles a man. So that person has a strong conviction that eating whatever she wants is just fine. Which one of them is right? Which one of them is right? Paul says in verse three that the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. And this is the context of Paul's command that we should receive the one who is weaker in faith. It is the context of conscience, not the context of truth. There are a whole host of issues that fall within the borders of personal conscience. Matters upon which God's word says either nothing at all, or the word seems to say two different contradictory things. This example of meat is a prime example. 
You understand the text I provided just now regarding me. The Bible seems to be saying two different things altogether. Israel is instructed to eat meat, but that some meat is off limits. It's unclean. But then God instructs Peter to eat anything he wants. And therefore, the matter of eating meat will be a matter of personal conscience rather than a matter of clear directive from God. These are within the parameters of my conscience. Those matters where the Bible says either nothing at all or where the Bible says seemingly two contradictory things. And how each one of us approaches these matters will vary. But just to be clear, matters upon which God's word is clear, matters in the Bible where there is no ambiguity, these are not left to the conscience. We are to obey God's clear commands as a matter of obedience. And the Holy Spirit within us will convict us when we violate those clear commands. And hopefully that clarification helps us as we seek to distinguish within ourselves between our own human conscience and the Holy Spirit's conviction. Because human conscience produces feelings of guilt which tend to restrict freedom and to cause fear. That's the human conscience. But Holy Spirit conviction is based on truth and it always provides a conviction that leads to repentance and not fear. That's the difference between guilt, human guilt, and Holy Spirit conviction. The one only leads to fear and restriction, the other leads to repentance and to freedom. Holy Spirit conviction changes the heart, but human conscience merely changes one's actions. And the person who is weak in faith is more focused on what she is doing rather than who she is becoming. Human conscience and human principles are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. So long as we do not try to impose our conscience onto anyone else. And Paul asked this question of the one who would impose their strongly held personal position onto another. Paul asked this question, who are you to judge the servant of another? Who gave you the right? Who gave you the responsibility to impose and to enforce your personal convictions upon another person? She is not your servant. Who are you to walk into Starbucks and tell the barista how to make a cappuccino? He is not your servant. It is not your company. She is not your employee. Paul exclaims, to his own master he stands or falls. In other words, his own master will judge him. And his own master will judge him because his own master is responsible for paying him, not you. And let this be a reminder for all of us that just because another believer does not follow your personal prescriptions for holiness does not mean that God is not pleased with them. Just because you're not pleased with them does not mean that God is not pleased with them. We are masters of no one. 
And we do not have the final say in whom God will or will not accept. God will decide who, who will stand and who will fall. Paul goes on and says, and, and that person who is not a part of your clique, that person who refuses to bow down to your private conscience, Paul says that person will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. I like that. The grace of God is powerful enough to cast all of her shortcomings into the sea of forgetfulness and to remember them no more. God is able to make her stand. And just because you have decided that she is in sin, just because you have decided that she has too many flaws based on your own personal convictions does not make it true. Let me clarify and just remind us one more time that what Paul is discussing here are matters of conscience and not matters of truth. Let me give you an example. It is a matter of truth that lying is a sin. If my brother or my sister is always lying, it is not a matter of personal conscience for me. It is a matter of obeying the truth of God's clear commands. That is not judging. The word of God has already judged. And when I tell my brother or my sister, you should stop lying. God is not pleased with lying. I am not judging my brother or my sister. No, I am simply turning to them the mirror. The word of God. And showing them what God has said. Not what I think, not my opinion. When I see my brother in sin, the Bible clearly says that I am duty bound to warn him, to warn her. That is not judging. Fornication is a sin. And the Bible does not have two contradictory positions on the matter. So if my brother is promiscuous, I am duty bound to warn him. But, if my sister is a Democrat and I a Republican, I should accept her without arguing the point. If my brother is immersed into social justice, I have no say, I have nothing to say about that. If my sister thinks that banning books is a good idea, I have no thoughts to add to that. If my brother considers socialism to be superior to capitalism, so what? I have nothing to say about that. The Bible has nothing to say about that. Or to use Paul's example, one person values one day over another day. Another values every day the same. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. I like that. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Each person is to be fully persuaded in his own conscience. But no one is to try to convince or persuade another person to take their view. How you vote, how you live, what you decide to invest your resources into. All of these are matters of personal values. And they have no place in the discourse of the church. 
They should have no bearing and they should carry no weight to the larger body outside of your own self. Those are your personal convictions. And you're free to have them. There is nothing wrong with you having personal convictions. But you are not free to establish your views as holding equal authority to the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. And the bottom line as it relates to matters of conscience is that so long as each of us is doing what we are doing, out of godly reverence and fear, we are doing well. Paul says in verse 6, the one who observes the day, observes the day for the Lord. And the one who eats, does so with regard to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And the one who does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. So long as my personal convictions are out of reverence to God, they do not cause offense. And my relationship with God is intact. Even if you disagree with my values, with my system of values. You be true to your conscience and allow me to be true to mine. And in matters that are neither here nor there, reserve judgment. Who are you to judge another man's servant? For not one of us, Paul says, not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. In summation, in summary then, Jesus Christ is the Lord and I am not. Jesus Christ is the Lord and you are not. Jesus Christ has given us clear commands that we are to follow. And if I or if you want to add additional burdens upon yourself, so long as you do not, put forth any effort to convince your brother to follow your way of living, it is fine. So long as you do not put forth any effort to try to persuade other people to think the way you think and to act the way you act and to live the way you live and to vote the way you vote, your personal convictions are fine. So long as what you're doing, you're doing to please God. Your personal conviction, you're going the extra mile, truthfully, will not draw you any closer to God. Your personal conviction and your way of living is not going to give you any extra credit with God. But those are your own personal sacrifices that are neither here nor there. They only make you feel secure. And if that's what you need to do, that's fine. So long as you maintain your personal convictions within the boundaries of your own mind and your own heart and out of respect to God and to man, maintain your private conscience before God alone and not seek to make your opinions equal to or greater than the truth of the word of God.
most disputes that we hear nowadays, believe it or not, most disputes that we hear within the body of Christ are really just a matter of opinion and personal preference with a few Bible verses scattered throughout to make it sound like it's religious. <laughs> Paul is saying here, yeah, you're gonna have your opinions. You have a right to your opinions. You should have opinions. But do not argue with other people about your opinions. They only belong to you and not to them. Do not measure, do not evaluate another person based upon your own private conscience. That is to invade the boundaries of your brother and of your sister and to seek to bring them captive to your way and to your view of seeing the world. That is against the word of God. Do not judge. And I'm gonna say it one more time as I wrap up. I wanna make sure I'm being clear on this. When I'm saying do not judge, I'm not talking about things that the Bible clearly says are sin. That is not judging if I call out clear sin. Sin is sin, and we are instructed by the word of God that we should warn one another when we fall into sin. That is scripture. But when I simply have an opinion about the way you live your life, an opinion about the way you raise your children, an opinion about the way you balance your budget, those things are just my opinion. They are not truth. And if I do present a suggestion to you of how you could do things better, I should present it to you as an opinion and not as a command. And in this way, we maintain peace between the brothers. We maintain unity within the body of Jesus Christ for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, it is true that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. To nuance, to discern, to detect, to bring clarity and to bring light. Thank you for the light of scripture. Thank you for the light of your word. Forgive us, Lord God, if we've judged and measured men based upon our own personal opinions. Forgive us, Lord God, if we have exalted our egos above your name and above your own glory. Today, we humble ourselves before you. We walk in meekness and in quietness. And we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, placing no additional burdens on his back than the burdens he is already carrying. But we seek, Lord God, to lighten the load on one another, to be kind to one another to promote and to advance freedom in the lives of every brother and of every sister. Give it to us, Lord God, to respect one another's liberty, to respect one another's freedom, to not bring our brothers and sisters into bondage according to our own wills. In Jesus' name.